morning, everybody. I'm so excited today. On the way down here this morning, after last Sunday, I thought, I'm going to have to write a book called, Honey, I Shrink the Church. <laughs> it was just the Holy Spirit, Jesus, and a few of us last week, but it's good to see y'all back, so I don't have to write my deal. Uh, I want y'all to pray for uh, a group of people in McAllister tonight. Uh, this is uh, my eighth year to speak at the Compassionate Friends International meeting. They have every second Sunday night. They meet at the little chapel on the hill. They call it across in First Baptist Church. And there'll be about 50 people there tonight that share the commonality of being a parent that's lost a child. So y'all be sure and pray for them about 6 o'clock. It's a... I would say probably of everything I do every year is probably the most sacred meeting I go to in the sense of God's presence and, uh, you know, they say in grief, there's grief and losing a child. Losing a child is a whole different, uh, whole different circumstance and we have people in this room that's experienced that. And so we want to pray today for, for those folks. I've got a scripture this morning. If y'all listen real fast, it won't take me very long. Good to see everybody. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Isn't that powerful? That word right is the word exousia, which is a powerful word in the Greek language for authority or being able to set in privilege high places. So the story is this, that uh, Jesus came to His own and His own wouldn't receive Him, but as many as did, He gave them the authority to be called a child of God. He that boasts, let him boast in this, that he knows the Lord, right? The greatest privilege in life is being a child of God. You ever ask yourself, why was I created? You ever ask yourself, why, why, why is mankind here? Can I give you some Jamesology this morning? Okay. One day I was just sitting thinking about this. Uh, because over in John chapter 4 it says, The Father seeks those that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. So if we would say today that God's on a quest, He's on a quest for children, Right? that will worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's His heart today. Back before man ever happened, before He was created, there was some things happen in heaven and on the earth, undoubtedly, or what the earth would be called the cosmos. And one thing that happened before the world ever came into being, there was a revolt in heaven by the angel called Lucifer, right? And we read over in Ezekiel about Lucifer. Undoubtedly, the angels were divided into, into three bands. The Sooners, the Cowboys. No, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, they were divided into three bands. Micah, Michael, the archangel, was in charge of war. Gabriel, the, the angel of announcement. And probably Lucifer, the angel of worship. Because it says that Lucifer has pipes and he's able to make majestic sounds. He's a creature of music. And that's why... We as Christians understand the power of secular music, right? And what it does to us. Y'all heard about the preacher walking down the road one day and one of the, um, 
his ladies backed off as he walked by and looked at him. He realized he was humming and whistling the Pap Blue Ribbon jingle. So the world gets us, okay? There's so much in, in the world. There's music. There's all these things. So I'll make this fast. What I think happened was that when Lucifer fell from heaven by his revolt, it says he took a third of the angels with him. So the two-thirds of the angels, the Michael, uh, the Michael, the archangel, and Gabriel, those folks are fine. But when Lucifer fell, he took angels with him, and they became demonic influence in the earth. And so... God created man because He wants people to worship Him, and He created us to be the new worship band in heaven, on earth. So we were created to worship God. Now we have to start out by knowing the Lord, but you ever thought about that? I'm not asking you to, to believe that. I'm just asking you to think about it. To me, in my shallow world, it makes perfect sense that the worship band fell from heaven and God created man to restore the worship due him. The Westminster Short Catechism says this, that man's chief goal is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And God not only wants you to enjoy Him, but He wants to enjoy you. And we're going to talk today about relationship with God. And we think about why were we created? Well, we were created with great purpose. It says over in Ephesians that when we're saved, that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ephesus was a seaport town, and people would take logs, and they would throw them in the sea and let them float until the merchants came to pick them up. And they'd brand their brand on the end of it, and then they'd go and say, well, that one's mine, and that one's mine, that one's mine. And that's what it means. That's when it says when we become children of God, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. God says that one's mine, and this one's mine, and that one's mine. We become a child of God. You know, sometimes I think, uh, our as a parent, you even ask, you know, why was I created and why were my kids created? Y'all ever do that? Did y'all hear about the old couple went to Greece? And they uh, sent a postcard home to their son, and it said this, Today, son, your mom and I are standing overlooking the Areopagus, where the Greek women used to throw their children to death. Wish you were here, love mom and dad. <laughs> so I think that those parents are wondering why he was here, but we were made and created to be God's children. And as many as us have, as receive him, now, this is the thing about God. God's not going to make you do anything. He's given you volitional choice. And if you'll receive him, he'll give you the right and the authority to become a, his child, which is all about relationship. Over in Genesis chapter 2, we have the outcome of sin. The bad part of sin was not just that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. In Genesis 2, it says, And God came for their normal in the cool of the day walk, and they were ashamed and they hid themselves. That's the terrible part of sin, is that in relationship, it puts us in shame-based living, and we don't come to the Lord the way we should because we feel the power of fallenness. The fall. When Adam and Eve fell, uh, the Bible says all that was passed on to us because Adam was our federal head. And the fall, though John Bunyan said, was a fortunate fall. There was also another meeting in heaven, hinted at in Ephesians chapter 3, that was, that was around man. And we've talked about that a little bit here. That other meeting in heaven was when God the Father and Jesus made a covenant. 
that was made before the foundation of the earth, that if man did fall, Jesus would, Jesus would come and die for man on the cross and redeem him back to God. That covenant was between God and Jesus. And that's the essence of what covenant really is, is the agreement between God the Father and Jesus. And so in the fall, we, uh, we see that God, you know what God could have done? Thank God he, that God is not a man. Uh, he could have said, well, that's it. I gave him a shot. You know, we kind of run our lives that way. You know, we even say, you, know, you messed with me and fooled me the first time. It's your fault. The next time, it'll be my fault. Mm-hmm. You ever heard anybody say that? I was, I was at a bit meeting yesterday, and a little lady came in. I don't know what happened to her. I don't know what was in a wad or what, but she got on to the clerk in there and just gave her a hard time. And as she walked out, I said, you know why so many people have so little of their mind left when they're old? They've given so many people a piece of it. <clears throat> so I'm trying not to give anybody any more of mine because uh, <clears throat> it's not good. God could have said, that's it, no more. But because of that covenant, God put into action a prototype. See, Adam and Eve covered their sin with self-righteousness. That was fig leaves to them. Y'all remember back in the old days when people would go to funerals and they'd take a rose and they'd put it in wax and put it in their family Bible? A little girl was visiting her grandma one day and she opened that big old Bible and there was, there was a, one of those things in there. She screamed as loud as she could. She said, Grandma, come here fast. I think I just found Adam's britches. <laughs> you have to think about that a little bit. But they put on fig leaves, which is self-righteousness, trying to cover themselves. But God made a prototype and a prophetic Analysis when he brought them animal skins. Now, what has to happen before you have an animal skin? There has to be an animal skinned, which means there's a shedding of blood, and the expiation is in the blood. And so the animal skin represents the fact that Jesus would come in the fullness of time, the kairos moment of God, and that he would fulfill the promises and shed His blood for us. So the purpose is that we be redeemed, that we be reconciled to God, to make us sons and daughters of God. The Bible says God in Christ reconciled the world to Himself, to make us spiritual children. The greatest truth that you'll ever discover is how much God loves you. You know, Brennan Manning says, when you get before the Lord, the question will be, did you really believe that I loved you? And we just, sometimes we just don't really believe that because we do come from problems and uh, dysfunction. And I think I told you one time I heard two guys arguing right here in Atoka. Can you imagine that? Somebody in Atoka arguing. One of them said, well, brother, I'm not trying to say I'm perfect or anything. And a classic statement was made from the other side. Well, man, I never suspected that. That's a classic, isn't it? God wanted to reconcile us. He wanted us to have His righteousness, not the righteousness. See, religion propagates self-righteousness, the righteousness of that particular... Can I, can I say this respectfully today? The righteousness that is the chief persuasion of that denomination. You know, it doesn't matter how you live, just so you let us baptize you, and you're all right. 
Anyway, it's propagated by self-righteousness, whereas Paul said, I don't want to be found with the righteousness which is my own, but I want to be found with the righteousness that comes from Christ, which is shedding of His blood and the expiation and forgiveness of our sin. But you're here to relate to God, and you're here to realize His great love. When John the, ba when John the Beloved, when he identified himself, he said this, and Jesus was near to the disciple whom he loved. That was John's identity. I'm the disciple that Jesus really loved. That's the greatest identity in the world. There's a story about an Irish priest who was walking in a rural parish. He saw an old peasant kneeling on the side of the road as he was with his entourage. He was so impressed that he went over and he said, you must be very close to God. And the entourage was surprised. The peasant looked up, stopped his prayer, smiled and said, yes, and he's also very fond of me. And what a revelation that we would not only know God, but be known of God. Maybe sometimes the emphasis is too much on us loving God rather than the realization of God loving us. You know, we're valued because we belong to God. Did you know physically, uh, th this is, y'all don't deal with this a whole lot, but this was an amazing thing to me, is how you can take people who are vi vibrant and living life to the fullest, and three days later, they're in a crematory. And, you know, one time I did a service at, the, at a cemetery, a cremation service. It was amazing. I mean, I'm not belittling or anything. Y'all don't know who it was. So I'll tell you how it happened. I'd, I walk, I'd walk up. I've got my Bible. I'm ready. And the box has just been shipped in. It hadn't even been opened with the cremains. So they cut open the box, and they have a little old plastic cup, and it looks like they're sewing the, uh, uh, let's see, y'all ever... Uh, sown uh, uh, like seed like that. They're just sowing cremains everywhere. And I'm going, I don't know if I want that. I mean, I'm just kidding. But anyway, it, but you know, the realization that moment, it doesn't matter what you're worth physically. It doesn't matter how your place in life, you're worth nothing physically. But there's a part of you that's valuable, that's eternal, and that's the image and likeness of God. First Thessalonians 5.23 says, I pray the whole that our Father sanctifies spirit, soul, and body. That's the right order. Spirit, soul is your mind, will, and your emotions, and your body is just this tent, the way you express yourself to the earth. And you know, I don't know what it's worth nowadays with inflation, but back in the 60s, I read an article one time that if you broke our bodies down chemically, they'd be worth about $1.95. Well, I'm sure it's up a little bit now. If it's up to $10, that's not a whole lot, is it? You know what it's saying? Our confidence is not in the flesh. Our confidence is in being a child of God and knowing God and realizing that He's really all we have and that we are loved of Him and we can also love Him. I had a friend, uh, his wife was out of town and we've been friends since 1973 and he invited me to come to his house. And it's quite the place. I walked in and he's done really well in life. I wanted to hide my car down the street and tell him I just caught a bus in. But anyway, 
you know, all these vehicles and everything. And I mean, it's just awesome. So he invited me to come spend a weekend with him, watch the Sooner game, go out and see his new farm he'd bought. So anyway, I'm, I'm a little overwhelmed by all of it. I walk in and he said, let's go upstairs to the game room, to the TV room, watch the Sooners. So we go up and I kind of go like this. All along the wall, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, y'all. ZZ Tops guitar. Certificate of Authenticity. Thank you very much. Anyway, uh, $14,300. Waylon Jennings signed an autograph, $15,000. Paul McCartney signed an autograph, $17,000. And I'm going like, man, I wonder if I could get a few of these in the car tonight. No, I, I really want to think that. But you know, as I was looking at all those, I, now I'm not exaggerating, $150,000, $200,000 worth of authenticated guitars along the hallway because his wife had, had, has done this for 30 years, go to these auctions and meet these people and buy these things. And you know, the thought hit me. I looked at that Fender and I thought, yeah, that's a $1,000 guitar. But you know why it was so valuable? Because of the person to whom it belonged. And I had this realization that most of us are just old instruments. But when we start to understand the one to whom we belong, we become priceless before him and priceless before the world. And you know, Jesus even showed you how priceless he you are. He authenticated your place when he died on the cross to say, you're that special. I heard Bill Bright say this years ago. You have to realize if you'd been the only person in the world, he would have done that just for you. He's intimate with the righteous. His intimacy with us is shared by the fact that he knows how many hairs we have on our head. By the way, that's not the job for me. It used to be for the Lord. But he knows how many hairs we have on our head. What's that about? That God goes, well, he's got 47,000. No, it's about this. He's so intimate and detailed with you, there's nothing about you he don't know. He knows your uprisings, your downfallings. How do we think that we can hide anything from God? You know, uh, when I did my clinical pastoral education, I was raised in an alcoholic home. A lot of uh, things I don't want to talk about going on by big people. You know, little people suffer because of big people. Uh, I wrote my paper on, in CPE, my capstone paper on how shame-based living had affected my theology. My supervisor, who's dead, I loved her like uh, a sister, uh, sent me a little note back that it was one of the better things she'd ever read because it was just who I was. And the only thing that keeps me going in life and keeps you going in life is the realization that we are new creations in Christ, and that old things have passed away and all things are becoming new in our life. But we're in this tension also. In 1957, at the Wesley Schoolhouse, under the ministry of a man named George Landers from the American Sunday School Union, who was a missionary to Mexico, I remember getting in front of, eight, at eight years old, getting in front of one of those old desks where you, know, the, you sat in the front and your neighbor had the back and asking Jesus into my heart. I remember that. I remember it's kind of embarrassing because Janelle English had come home with my cousin. Now, y'all don't know who Janelle English, do you? Y'all don't know who she is. 
Well, every time I saw her, my heart beat hard. She was Miss McAllister back in the day and Miss Runner-Up, Miss Oklahoma, anyway. But she came home with my cousin, and even in that shame-basedness, the battle I fought was embarrassed, being embarrassed. But I asked the Lord into my heart, and that was the beginning of the process that I have to still walk in today. Did you know most men who fell in the Bible fell in the second half of their life? Isn't that interesting? You know why? Because you never have it all. And Paul said this, the great apostle in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, said this, Oh, that I might know Him. The Greek word there is the word gnoska, and it means it's the same word that Mary used when the angel of the Lord said, you're going to have a baby. And she said, but I don't know a man. It's an intimate word. It's a word of life transformation and life, uh, life exchange. It's a powerful word. It's an intimate word. And Paul said, I want to know the Lord more intimately. See, in our society, we kind of, I wish I didn't have to say this, but we go down and we put our sins at the altar. We get our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and then we kind of go out to do our own thing in America. Whereas the reality is we get the Lord in our heart, we get the Spirit, and then we're on a journey of obedience to Him and walking and becoming more, now this is what it really means, to become more intimately acquainted, progressively, to know Him more every day, to know Him better in relationship, to be able to go by His nudgings, to go to Walmart and be able to follow divine flow and know when He wants you to do something when He doesn't want you to do something. I wished I was better at that. But Paul said, I want to progressively know Him more. Some people know Jesus like I know Bill Clinton. I know what he's done. I've read some things about him. The only thing I share in common is that we had a alcoholic fathers. That's not, that's not funny to y'all, is it? I've actually had people, 100 people walk up and tell me I look like Bill Clinton. And I always go, the only thing I have in common with that man is alcoholic father. Anyway, that's, that's funny to me and not very funny to y'all, but anyway. But if Bill Clinton walked in the back door and I walked up and I said, Bill, he'd go, who in the eschatology are you? I know him. I've been taught about him. I've heard about him all my life. But I've never had a heart exchange to meet him and to introduce myself. And that's what the new birth is about, is introduction into the kingdom of God. And some people know Jesus like they know Bill Clinton, but if Jesus walked in the room, he'd say, depart from me. I never knew Gnoska, the same word, I never intimately knew you. So we're in this progressive journey with the Lord. New birth gives us His nature. It says over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that we are redeemed and we are given the life of God. That word, Greek word is sperma. It's where we get our idea of the very life of God comes into us by the Spirit. And God is Spirit and we can know Him, we can be known by Him, we can fellowship with Him. He wants you to love Him more than anything. And the most beneficial thing we can do in our life is to know God progressively. Did y'all hear about the man who uh, had taught school 25 years and they decided to replace the superintendent? They had a man that had been there in his second year and they hired the man that had two years' experience. Well, the 25-year-old veteran went to the school board, and he was huffing puffing. Mr. Kellogg, you ever been around anybody huffing puffing at that school meeting? 
He sat down across from the board and he said, I can't believe y'all. I've had 25 years experience at this job and this boy's had two years and you gave it to him. And one of the men who was bold spoke up and said, you know, George, we talked about this in the meeting for a couple hours. And the conclusion was, you'd actually just had one year experience, but you'd done it 25 times. So we decided to, we decided to hire this young guy to change the system a little bit. Is that the way, does that describe our relationship with God? Just doing the same thing about 50 years? Let's progressively come to know Him. Let's hear His voice. Let's know Him. Let's be intimate with Him because we're headed to Him. And it requires a spiritual birth. I've already said that. We have to be born anew. We receive the Spirit. Our spirits are quickened and made alive. It requires the desire to know Him. You know, the great Carl Barth came over here, spoke at the University of Chicago School of Divinity. He was a great Swiss, a Swiss theologian, wrote hundreds of thousands of pages of theology, and had a way of moving people. I've got, I've got a book by, by Carl Barth that, that I just love. It's called The Humanity of God, and it's about how Jesus became a human being. And so he speaks to this great, you know, University of Chicago Divinity School is pretty, pretty, pretty big place. And they have all these academic folks there. And when Carl Barth was finished with his little lecture, he said, okay, do we have any questions? Which was pretty bold at the University of Chicago Divinity School. And one man raised his hand and said, Mr. Barth, of all the hundreds of thousands of pages of theology you've read, of all the hundreds of thousands of pages of theology you've written, what's the most powerful thought you ever had? And then everybody got real quiet. And Carl Barth said, oh, that was easy, guys and girls. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's a pretty, pretty powerful thought, isn't it? And that we can relate to him. It requires vulnerability. You know, I told somebody this week, they kind of looked at me funny when I said this, but I said, you know, when I get to heaven, I want to see Jesus, Jesus first. And then I want to see David how such a failure and a mess-up. The worst father that ever lived. He committed adultery. He committed murder. And God said, oh, consider my servant David. He's a man after my own heart. I'm going to ask David what that was. And you know, I think it's this, that David had a relationship with God and when he knew his sins, he readily admitted to him. He said, you know, God, forgive me, Psalms 51. Lord, don't take your spirit from me. There's something there. But you know, I want you to listen carefully to what I'm going to say. God has rules and regulations in the Bible, and the good thing about those, if we cooperate with those, we'll be blessed. But every time God forgives you, it's a reminder. Anybody here ever broke a rule of God? Good, you just lied if you didn't raise your hand, so you broke them. The great thing about God, now hear this carefully, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. The great thing about God, Richard Rohr says, the great thing about God is that every time I break a rule and He forgives me and He restores me, it's a proof to me that my... Sorry about that one. I'm at church, where are you? <clears throat> I thought about that a while ago, but I'm really, I'm really using that because I forgot my watch. So it is about 12 o'clock. 
am I okay? You ought to say that if it's awful. <laughs> it may be awful, but anyway, y'all you know, are just too kind. <sighs> but David, and Richard Rohr says, see, I thought I was going to lose it, but Richard Rohr says, every time I break a rule of God and God forgives me and cleanses me by the blood of Christ, it's a reminder to me that there's something more important with rules with God towards me. It's my relationship with Him. That He wants me to be in relationship with Him because the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from righteousness. When I break His rule, I pay for it. Every time I've ever broken a rule of God, somehow I paid for it. But when He forgives me, when I break the rule, it's a reminder, James, I'd rather have a relationship and, I'd, and I, Jesus came so you can be in perpetual relationship with me because if you confess your sins, I'll be faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Well, I'm going to close. Um, you know, people, we have people in our life that have meant a lot to us. People in this room here today meant a lot to me. And uh, I guess a man that probably most of you don't know, some of you know, that's meant the most to me in life has been Olin Griffin. At one time, Olin Griffin was the pastor of the Shady Grove Church of Grand Prairie. It's now uh, Robert, uh, uh, what's his name? Morris is now overseeing that church also. But Brother Olin is 74, and I had, I had lunch with him not too long ago in McAllister. He came through, and we sat down, and he started talking about his walk with the Lord. And he said, James, Jesus, Jesus and I are doing really well, probably better than we've ever been. He owns a house in Israel. He's in Israel about half the time because he loves the Israeli people. He said, you know what? Sybil, they've been married like probably 55 years. He said, and Sybil and I are doing pretty good too. And he was just like so vulnerable with me. And that's the thing I've learned from him is the vulnerability of life. He's had some heartaches in his life. He's had some failures, family members that broke his heart and things in his life. And, but he's kept that relationship. And it all goes back to an experience he had in his office one time. He told me this experience. He said, I was getting up every morning and going to the church and just praying and just praying and just praying and just doing all these things. And he said, one day I decided to skip and go to the office. So he said, I'm in my office. You'll have to excuse me. I still got all this shingle junk going on, okay? Uh, he said, I'm in my office, and I'm just saying, oh, God, you know, I don't know how to approach you. And he said, the Lord said, Olin, why don't you let me lead you in our relationship? Instead of you trying to always do everything, why don't you see us as coming together as friends? And why don't you let my spirit help you? He thought, that's a good thought. And he said, he's in the, he's in the study, okay? He hadn't been a Baptist in 30 years. And he said, well, Lord, what do you want me to do today about our relationship? He said, I'd like for you to sing that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness to Me Today. He said, well, Lord, I would, but now th this is the powerful thing. I would, but I can't remember the words, all of them. He said, well, go over there in your study and get that Baptist hymnal up on the second row. Well, Lord, I don't have no Baptist hymnal in my study. He said, yeah, I'll just go over to the second row and look. And he goes over and there's the Baptist hymnal. So he said, now, he just gets up in the morning and said, Jesus... 
What, what do you want to do in our relationship today? How do you want to take me deeper into you? Now that's, that's uh, you want know that'll do? That'll make you love God with all your heart because everything else becomes secondary. You know, anybody here ever see Jackie Gleason in that, in that movie called George Walsh? Jackie Gleason, his wife's about two-thirds Pentecostal, and she's going to church every night. And Jackie Gleason is the atheist. He don't believe in nothing. If you haven't ever seen that movie, maybe you can find it. I, let's see, it's a, I watched it when I was a, about 30. It's about 400 years old, so maybe you can find it. Anyway, I think Noah watched it one time, so anyway. I'll make this short. Jackie Gleason, he doesn't believe in anything. And one night, right in the middle of the night, they lived right down the street from a, car, from a firecracker factory. And all of a sudden, things start booming. The thing's caught on fire. He didn't realize the house is vibrating. And Jackie Gleason run, jumps up and says something to his wife. What is it? Is it the end of the world? And Jackie Gleason runs into the sink, and he turns the water, and he said, I now baptize you, George Watts, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and then he finds out it's the firecracker factory. <laughs> you get my point? Don't live your spiritual life out of distress. Be proactive and make every day a Jesus day. You know, Constantine wouldn't be baptized till the end of his life because he's afraid he might sin again. Well, the dude had some serious problems. But anyway, while he was giving the church all the direction, his mother was giving him directions worshiping the sun god. Anybody here remember day? Uh, let's see. Oh, the left-handed pitcher, Frank Viola. You remember him? If you're ever at Mardell's or somewhere, pick up the book Pagan Christianity by the old left-handed pitcher, and it'll be quite, quite a trip for you. Anyway, and it's not negative. It's just talking about biblical patterns versus cultural patterns. So, closing remarks. Oh, that I might know him to become progressively, progressively better acquainted. That's what I want. That's what I want for all of us. Because when we know him, we have peace, we have prosperity, we have blessings, we have everything that we're looking for. Because he created us for himself. And we're only valuable because we belong to him. Would you stand with me? I want you to bow your heads with me for a moment today. <clears throat> Desire. You know, I've, for the last uh, four or five years, I oversaw about 35 employees, which was a different thing for me. By the way, I'm not going to say much about it, but there were three, three men. Y'all can laugh at that if you want to. I learned this by watching people. That you can teach people skills. You can teach them how to do things. But you cannot put desire in someone's heart. You can't do it. Paul said this in Philippians 2. For it is God who worketh 
That's where we get our word energy, is the word energeia. For it is God who worketh, puts energy in us, to will and to do His good pleasure. Here's what I want to encourage you in today. Let God put an internal desire in you by His Spirit to know Him. And it'll put you and put me on the most fascinating journey we've ever been on. It'll take away the mundanes of life and the drudgeries of life, the routines of life. And every day, I have a brother-in-law who's over 70 years old that wins probably 20 to 30 people a week to Jesus and puts in pacemakers part-time. Because <laughs> his main job is winning people to Jesus. One day... One night on a Saturday night, he called me and he said, James, what are you doing? Well, to be honest, I was in there trying to beat out a sermon. I said, Jesse, what are you doing? He said, oh, God's so pleased with me tonight. I said, I've been worshiping God, reading the Bible and praying. And I thought, man, I wish life was that simple. But it is. When we progressively come to know him, that to be right with him and to walk with him is God's greatest privilege. So I want us to know him progressively become better acquainted with. Lord, I thank you for this church. We thank you that this church belongs to you, that this is your body, and that we must all have a relationship with the head, which is Jesus. And then we become mutually dependent on one another through that relationship. And we learn to trust one another because in order to lead, we have to be led. And we come into a fascinating place of being the body and hearing the Spirit and hearing similar things by the Spirit and walking in agreed obedience. I pray your blessings on this church today and that they would come to know you and that I would come to know you and that all of us would come to know you today because we're going to spend eternity with you and let us not be so unaware of your nature and your character that can become real in our life today. The character that forgives, that when reviled does not revile back, the character that doesn't condemn, teaches those things by our relationship with you. And thank you again for this church, and I pray your blessings on them, numerical, financial, influential increase. I pray that you will send those whom you would have to put their life here. I've learned this, Lord, when you send people to the church, we couldn't run them off if we tried. But if you don't send them, they can't stay anyway. And I pray you to build this body and send people here that can be a blessing to this community and help us to hear the cry of this community and of our own families today the disparity that we hear and help us to be messengers, ambassadors of the new covenant. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Now before we leave here, every head still bowed. If you, not to me or not to any man, but if you would like to just, you've received him, you've been, you're a child of God, but you'd like to get to know him even better. Would you, would you lift your hand to give him the okay to do that today? Just say, Lord, I want to know you better. Thank you. Okay, God bless y'all. Thank you for, for letting me be here today. Thanks for showing up, all of you, that, so I don't have to write my book, Honey, I Shrink the Church.